Sorry, I was unplugged. No, you got it. If so, bring. Sorry, I was unplugged. That's that's totally a reasonable volume to talk. <laughs> Please continue to talk that volume. Mic check. Mic check. One, two. Mic check. Close enough. Facing the mic. Peaks and pops. Mic plugged in. Oh, yeah. We're good. Good. That would be really weird if it was not plugged in. Yeah, that's never happened before. Have we made that joke before? There's something weird going on. The Matrix is glitching or (laughs) there's something going on with the timeline. I don't know what. But here we are, episode 17. Now, Laura... If you have spent any time with me in the last few weeks... And I have. Yeah. You have looked at our game shelf and have thought, oh, it's a lot of games. Don't know what to review next. And we were like picking out some themes, right? Oh, I love looking at the game shelf and coming up with themes. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a whole bunch of Alexander Pfister games. We've got games in space. We've got games in medieval history. We've got the, like we've got the entire GIF project that we could review. We've got all kinds of stuff, right? And we had some good suggestions. We did have some really good suggestions, uh, which we have completely disregarded because we just saw something that I could not resist. Four games. Are you ready for this, Laura? Arc Nova, Nova Luna, Luna Capital, Capital Lux. Okay, put the record scratch in because I just want our dear listeners to know that that was my observation in the first place and the icing on the cake. You have not met a bit (laughs) that you would not just drown in the river for the sake of of historical accuracy. I think think that the icing on the cake here is worth setting the record straight because at the time when I came up with this idea, we had... Nova Luna, Luna Capital, and Capital Lux. Oh, uh, yeah, okay, mm-hmm. yeah. You bought Arc Nova. I, I did technically in, traded for it. Mm-hmm. Intentionally uh-huh. to fit into this already <laughs> existing good idea that we had. Yeah, because you said it was okay back in episode eight for our eighth episode spectacular. You <laughs> allowed the precedent. It's true. It's true, I to did. To be set, yeah. It's, so now, it's now law. That's yeah. where we are. Arc Nova... <laughs> Nova Luna, Luna Capital, Capital Lux. Arc Nova, Luna Capital Lux. That's our theme. That is where we're at today. And I think uh, we should just go right on into <laughs> the very Arc first one. Arc Nova. Arc Nova. Honey, we bought a zoo. I knew you were going to open with that. (laughs) This is what I would be saying (laughs) if we had bought an actual zoo. No, we have bought the next best thing, a zoo-themed board game. And I got to tell you, I really do believe that anything you can zoo. I can zoo better. Very nice. (laughs) Well done, Paul. Yeah, you didn't see that one coming, did you? I didn't. I didn't. Ark Nova, published by Capstone Games. We've played a lot of it. So much. In Mm -hmm. fact, we have played it. Well, twice today. Twice, and yeah. Every night this week. Every night for the last three nights. Yep. Uh, this is now an Arc Nova podcast. Uh, <laughs> we do not review anything else. This is nothing but Arc Nova. 
All day, every day. Dear listener, I would like to mention that it was very important to me that before we review this game, I win it at least once. You experience the thrill of victory. Yes. So just to set the scene here, we were first introduced to Ark Nova. Well, we had met Ark Nova. We kind of winked across the room at Ark Nova. Yeah, we were like, we couldn't help but notice your vibe Yeah, from across the room. It's true. We decided not to pick up Ark Nova. Yeah. It was expensive. Or, mm-hmm. It was expensive. It seemed, it didn't seem initially like it was really offering us something new. It seemed uh, terraforming Mars-esque, mm-hmm. which you'll see a lot of comparisons to. Yep. And we have our own thoughts about that comparison as well. Yeah. But our friends Mark and Vanessa brought it over. Yep. Game night. We played it. Yeah. I won my first time. Uh-huh. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you think those two are related? There's probably some overlap in that Venn diagram, if we're being honest. Yeah. But- most importantly, when we finally purchased it for ourselves, yep. uh, you found a good deal, yeah. brought the game in. It was a trade. It was mm-hmm. a good trade. We traded away a couple of these these games. Fortunately, they don't listen to our podcast. And what, the games? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be weird. Fortunately, the uh, the recipient of this trade doesn't listen to our podcast uh, and, uh, and was perfectly fine taking some games that we had passed on to give us Ark Nova. It was a good trade. Yeah, I think so. So we've played it. Several times since. Yeah. The first time we sat down and played it, I lost by quite a bit. I was very unhappy. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that I sat down thinking, here's a slam dunk game. I'm definitely going to win. <laughs> but I at least thought that it would be close or that, yes, maybe I would win. But it's not like winning big, heavy games against me is something you're a stranger to. I don't right? like, but I got just stomped okay i mean you ground me to dust with the heel (laughs) of your boot it was terrible my zoot Mm. (laughs) hey sort of yeah i'll give you partial credit for that okay so we have played it now i think four times since that first time uh yes we've played a total of five times yeah and i finally won this time so now we can talk about it. Now you have allowed yourself to form an opinion about Ark Nova. Yeah. But before we relay those opinions, we do what we always do, which is we tell you, dear listener, about it in case you are not familiar with Ark Nova. It was uh, not nominated for, but definitely in the conversation officially on the official record, recommended for, help me out here, Spiel de, de Yara. Yara. Kenner Spiel de Yara, I believe, which is the hobbyist gamer mm-hmm. um it lost out to a game that we have opinions about but we do not want to digress we are here to talk about zoos and board games about zoos and this one here is a doozy it comes in a it's big, a zoozy it's, <laughs> i give you a quarter credit <laughs> uh it comes in a big heavy box very large box it definitely holds something a uh, very heavyweight here uh, just a big spread definitely takes up a lot of space on the table it does so the centerpiece yeah. is the score track. This game is unusual in that there are two score tracks. Yep. And you will start on one side of the board and kind of loop around counterclockwise in a big U. Yeah. And start on the other side of the board and loop around clockwise in a big U, the same U. So you've got a, mm-hmm. uh, a scoring marker on each side of the horseshoe. Mm-hmm. And they, over the course of the game, they'll be moving towards each other until they eventually cross. And that's when the game is over. The first person to cross their two wooden markers, markers yep. on the two tracks uh, will tr- the game. trigger the end game and everyone gets one more turn. Yeah. 
So that in and of itself is already pretty cool because as you might imagine, there are ways that you can speed along on one track or ways that you can speed along on the other yep. and lots of different ways to kind of get your wooden score trackers to meet. Yep. Uh, in the middle of the giant horseshoe score track is your market. Yep. Your market is a mix of all the different kinds of cards in the deck. There are primarily animal cards. Yep. And there are also two other kinds of cards. One is sponsor cards. Sponsor cards are any number of things that can be kind of special abilities, discounts on cards or, yeah. you know, get all some kinds of things. They're weirdos. Sponsors are, sponsors are weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And then you also have conservation projects. Conservation projects are group objectives. However, if you do have one in your hand, it doesn't become a group objective until you play it. Yeah. So when you do play it, then everybody else will have access to it as well. But it's something you can work towards and say, aha, I'm working towards this hidden objective that nobody knows that I'm working towards until I reveal it and, you know, in theory, claim the most valuable part of that objective. And then everyone else just gets, you know, seconds and thirds. Is there anything that I missed in the deck? I think that's it. No, just that's those it. Three just those, yep, animals, sponsors, and conservation projects. All right, perfect. Let's move on to what else we've got in front of us right here. Yeah. So player mats. There are, I think, six or eight. There's a bunch of them eight. in the box. Eight, eight player mats. They come in three flavors. Beginner, beginner plus plus, and then advanced. Uh, all the beginner maps are the same, and they're the easiest to play on. And then the beginner plus plus are also all the same, and they're easy to play on too, just not quite as easy as the, the beginner ones. And then you've got the eight maps that are... Asymmetric. Yeah, uh, just like all kinds of different special abilities on each one, which definitely, when you play the game five times <laughs> over three days... Makes a big difference. Yeah, it feels everyone feels different. Yeah, so what's on these maps? Well, obviously there's the map. That's your zoo map. It's a big old empty plot of land upon uh, made which... Made up of? Oh, hexes. Hexes. Yeah, yeah. hexes. Um, I, that's true. I do like that about this yeah. game for sure. So you have a big old empty plot of land. It kind of looks like an aerial view of maybe a, a golf course that is all sand, trap, and water pit. Yeah. Uh, and there's also mountain ranges or something, rocks in there. Yeah. In fact, those are your three terrain types, right? Water, rock, and dirt. <laughs> and you can't really build on rock, and you can't really build on water. There's ways, very, very rare ways you can do that. But most of the time, can't build on rock, can't build on water. Yep. And that's where you'll be placing, ultimately, your tetromino hex pieces? He hextrominos. They yeah. are, they are, the game calls them enclosures. Yeah. So it's your pens for your animals. Yeah. They come in hex groups of one, two, three, four, and five. There's also some special buildings. Yeah. Um, we'll cover all those in a bit. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, the uh, groupings are all the same. So a four is a four is a four, and a five is a five is a five. It's right. Not it's not like, like Tetris. Right. They're like, exactly. You, when you buy a five-size enclosure, you're, you know exactly what you're getting. Mm-hmm. And on your player mat, you also have, in addition to the map, several different spots for picking up tokens from another board that we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. But basically, uh, spots for collecting agreements with zoos from other continents. Yep. Spots for collecting science and reputation bonuses. Yep. To to get these little science icons which uh which can score you some points at the end of the game if you set things up right. 
and they also unlock the ability to play more advanced sponsors. Mm-hmm. And also spots for hiring more people. The people are important for, again, taking actions on the board that I have left out and will describe in a moment. Yeah. And then a bunch of kind of little places for your cubes here. When you get to do certain actions, you will get to choose a cube to move over there, giving yourself either some kind of income bonus or some kind of immediate bonus, depending on the cube that you remove. Yeah, all these other spots outside of the map will give you bonuses for either covering them up or taking something off of them, uncovering them, something Mm -hmm. like that. Oh, and speaking of on the map, itself there are also bonuses that you get points for covering up when you build pens yeah like just just sprinkled all over the map little here's a here's a five zoo buck bonus for putting an enclosure on top of there or you put something on here and you get to draw a card or something like that yep and then moving on to the last board that i keep referencing that is the association board so the association board has a bunch of different things you can do on it On the low end, there is the opportunity to just step up your reputation track. I didn't mention there's a third track in the (laughs) middle of the board alongside the market of cards. Yeah. Uh, That kind of informs what cards you might have access to from that market. At the start, everyone has a really low reputation. And so you really only have access to the lower cards at the market, the ones that have been out the longest that people seem to want the least. But as you gain rep, you'll move up that track and you'll have more opportunity to get first dibs on cards as they come out from the deck. Yeah. The next step up here on the association board is those agreements with different continents. Yeah. Partner zoos. You can you can form a relationship with a partner zoo in Africa or Australia or somewhere in the Americas. Mm-hmm. Then you have those. We call them, I think we pretty much called these like science tokens. Yeah. Yeah. Ways to increase your... Your science. Science and your rep. Yeah. And then at the very top end of the association board, you have the ability to support a conservation project. That's how you're going to put your cubes on these these conservation projects. That's how you're going to score your points is is by taking the, uh, the correct action at its maximum, maximum strength, strength in order to cash in one of your... your conservation projects to get mega points Mm -hmm. yes and as we mentioned you will have conservation projects in your hand probably over the course of the game or your opponents will and those conservation projects will only become public access once they've been actually played obviously but there are depending on how many players you play with a few that are laid out at the beginning of the game too so everybody at least knows what a few of the conservation projects will be. Yeah, they're ones that are available for everyone to claim uh, over the course of the game. Uh, and then there's the ones that you'll play that you will have known about that no one else will know until you've actually played them. Yeah. And so I think the only other thing I want to mention before I pass the baton to you about how the game is played yeah. is that there's money in this game. Yeah. There are... Zoo bucks. <laughs> right. The aforementioned zoo bucks. Yeah. There are also these little kind of crossroads X icons, which yep. lets you pa- boost. Power up the things you want to do. Yep. There's one more track, the break track with that little coffee mug. Yeah, it's less of a track and more of a timer, a countdown timer. Yeah, it kind we'll of signals that. the end of the round when everyone's about to head into income phase. Yeah. I'm going to pass the baton to you and let you take over. Oh, boy. All right. So I, I've, I've run a couple of laps. I got my heart rate up. Here we go. It's a big game. It's a game about uh, uh, building out your zoo, uh, with these enclosures, 
playing animals into those enclosures in order to gain what the game calls appeal. We refer to them as tickets, little ticket symbols, or we also sometimes call it thrill because it's, sometimes it's, it's really thrilling to have a mountain tapir. Is that how you pronounce it? Tapir or tapper? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. These are great. These are great animals that I've never really heard of, although the fennec fox is pretty cute. But as you play animals into enclosures, you'll start gaining appeal, and that's one of these two tracks that moves along this horseshoe. And then eventually, you'll start being able to complete these conservation projects, uh, and you'll get, you'll get conservation points for that. Incoming correction. Oh, oh, hang on. The correct pronunciation is taper. It's a taper. T-A-P-I-R. We didn't even consider that option. No, I've, what do I know? I'm not a zoo scientist, even though I play a really good one in a board game. Mm. So you put your animals into your enclosures and you get uh, appeal for that. And that is one of the two uh, arms of this scoring track horseshoe business. Uh, the other type of points you get are conservation points. Now, the chief way you'll get those is by completing these conservation projects, but there's other little ways to get one or two conservation points here and there. At the start of the game, the, the conservation points are worth like two appeal each. I'm looking at the board right now, and this appeal track is going all the way around, starting at zero, going all the way around to 113, and then the conservation track starts at zero, and it covers these green spots that overlap the individual tickets on the appeal track. So you've got conservation point number one covers uh, appeal 113 and 112, and it, and it goes by two by two by two all the way down until around the low 90s. And then one conservation point ends up being worth three appeal. Um, so there are times you may have to make a decision. Do I want to gain two appeal or one conservation point? Well, most of the time, conservation points are going to be what you want to get. There's ways to game the system. I won't go into that because, oh boy, uh, this is going to be a doozy. <laughs> but but that's, that's the overall flow of the game is building your zoo out, populating those enclosures with animals in order to get appeal. And then at some point, your zoo meets all these different conditions and you start scoring conservation points until eventually your conservation point marker and your appeal marker overlap on the track and then everyone else gets one more turn, and whoever has the greatest distance between their overlapped scoring markers will win the game. If your scoring markers don't overlap by the end of the game, you're, you're, you lose. You're, you're not going to win the game because you were too bad at zooming. But, uh, but typically, um, that, that last turn is where everyone does that mad rush to try to score as many conservation points as they can in order to, to increase the distance between their two scoring markers. Um, decrease the distance. Oh, de increase, increase if, if you pass. Decrease first, but then increase. Yes. What a weird game. I've not played a game like this before. And yeah. so we don't really have a frame of reference for it. But suffice to say, you want your, you want to get as much appeal as possible and you want to get as many conservation points as possible. It's kind of a race a little bit, um, but maybe not. I don't know. It depends on how you want to play. But here's how you actually play. <laughs> uh, the thing that drives the game are these five action cards. You've got an action card that says animals, an action card that says build, an action card that says association, a card that says sponsors, and a card that says cards. It's like cardception up in here. Now, the way these cards are used is at the bottom of your player mat, you've got spots one through five. And at the start of the game, animals starts over here in spot one, and then your other four cards randomized and laid out in spot two, 
three, four, and five. And each of these cards gives you something you can do. And the strength of that thing depends on how far towards the five that card is. So if I play um, the association card at strength five, that's going to be a lot more effective than if I played it at strength one or two. And when you pick one of these cards and you do the thing, you move that card all the way over to the one and the other cards shift on over to the right. So you'll end up with this kind of conveyor belt, conveyor belt, this loop, this hamster wheel of these cards. You're like, okay, if I want to use the animals card at its full strength, that ain't going to come up for, you know, three or four turns, barring any special abilities. So what can I do for the next three or four turns to really set myself up for that animals card to be really good? But then what can I also do to set myself up for the card after the animals card to be really good? And that's what's going through your brain. Right. So there's a constant juggle between choosing the thing in the highest number five slot to get the best value for playing that card, but also shifting around the lower positions so that you can really make the most of whatever is in the five. So uh, I'll go over what these cards do real quick. Um, The animals card does exactly what you would think it would do. Lets you play animal cards from your hand. Now, if you play this card down here at strength one, you don't actually get to play any animals. So don't ever do that. But as this card moves further and further to the right, up to the five, you can play one animal if it's at two, three, or four. And then once it gets over to the five, you can play two animals at once if you have the money for it. You can spend the money, and if you have the animals in your hand, and you have the enclosures to hold them, boom, two animals in a row. That's that's pretty efficient. That's pretty much always what I try to do. I almost always try to play two animals at once. Yeah, and the build one that you mentioned, yep, the spot that you're on, one, two, three, four, five, determines the size of the building that you can play. Yeah, so if, you, if you're playing it over here, way over here on wimpy little spot one, you can build yourself a size one enclosure. There are these other two little dinky building types kiosks and pavilions that kind of give you little tiny little bonuses but if you make it all the way over to the five that's going to let you build the size five enclosure and anytime you build anything it costs two money for every space that it takes up so building that big five space enclosure is going to cost you 10 zoo bucks now sponsors sponsors is a kind of a dual function card the most straightforward use of it is to just gain money Whatever strength it is, is going to be how much money you get. So if it's on if it's on the fifth space and you activate sponsors, you're going to get five money. But what that's also going to do is it's also going to move the coffee break marker up five spaces. Now, we mentioned this earlier. This coffee break marker kind of acts as a, as a timer uh, for, for rounds. The game doesn't really have rounds no. until that coffee break timer ends up uh, at the end. And then we kind of stop for a second. Do a little bookkeeping, replenish some tokens. Everyone has to discard down to a hand limit. Uh, We burn some cards in the market to bring in some new cards to make things a little more exciting. We get some income. Everyone gets some income, and income can be more than just money. Income can be other things as well. Mm -hmm. There's things you can do that are like, in your income phase, you get to build a free two-size building if you want. All kinds of things that can happen during the income phase as well. But that, that triggers, and then the coffee break marker goes all the way back to the start, and, and we just kind of keep playing. Uh, and that's that's the closest thing this game has to rounds. Other than that, everyone just kind of just takes their turn. And we just go around and around and around and around. But sponsors is how you're going to effectively run that timer down in exchange for money. But another thing that sponsors let you do is it lets you play sponsor cards from your hand. 
So you've got animal cards, you've got conservation project cards, and you've got sponsor cards. And these are the weird cards that just do all kinds of a variety of abilities. Hey, if your zoo has this many enclosure types in it, get one money for every one of those. Or if, you know, get money for every science icon that you have on your player mat and on the cards you've already played. Or get a discount on playing a small animal. Get a discount on playing a large animal. Some of these sponsors will give you endgame goals too. They'll give you one point oh, yeah. if you have a nice variety of animal types or a nice variety of continents represented in all the, the animal types and other places on your zoo mm-hmm. player board here. Sponsors, though, is the only way you're going to be able to play these sponsor cards from your hand. I say all of this comes with, there's always something that will break the rule. But by and large, that's how you're going to get sponsor cards out of your hand. Yeah. Uh, the next one I'll talk about here is it's a it's a card called cards. That's how you're going to get more cards into your hand. Because unlike most games, you only get cards when you're willing to actually play the cards action. And again, that costs some coffee break, but that's a hard limit. That is two. So whereas with sponsors, if you took five money, that will count the break timer down five. With the cards action, that just counts that break timer down too. And then there's a little chart on here that tells you, depending on the strength of the cards action, how many cards you get to draw. Whether or not you have to discard one of them. Yeah, and where you get to draw them from. Also, if you play this cards card, man, I'm going to say cards. I'll take a drink every time I say cards. In fact, retroactively, go back, rewind, listen to this review from the start. And take a drink every time I say cards. We'll wait. Oh, well, if you are still conscious and not passed out yet, we take no responsibility for, especially if you've been driving or are in the middle of driving, don't actually do the drink every time Paul says cards challenge. The strength five version of this, if you have this all the way over in your strength five slot and you use it, Instead of drawing three cards and having to get rid of one, you can choose to snap. And when when the game tells you to snap, they don't mean to go down an alleyway like a shark or a jet. Instead, what you do is you pick any card available on the display. Do you really, really want that common wall lizard? Snap it up. Snap it up. Or I guess, yeah, snap it up or or snap a photo. Yeah, snap it up. I think that'll work. Snap it. When in doubt, snap Snap it, it, snap it out. Yeah, nah, we'll work on that. Mm. We'll come back to that later. That's how you're going to get more cards, is by playing the cards card. And uh, finally, we get to the association card. And this is kind of the trickiest one. The association card uh, lets you interact with that association board that we talked about earlier. And when you start the game, you have one little worker that you can send off to that board. The weaker the association card is when you play it, that is, the further to the left it is, if you play it at, say, level 2 or level 3, generally, the less useful the action is going to be. So if I play this association card at level 2, I send my one worker over to the association board, and the spot that is strength 2 just gives me a couple of reputation on this reputation track that we talked about earlier. And the reputation track opens up the ability to draw more cards from the display rather than having to take them off from the deck. As you get way up the reputation track, though, some bonuses get unlocked. If I play this association card all the way over here at strength four, well, that's going to let me get access to these science tokens we talked about. The one that's the most useful is the one that lets you have a hand limit of five rather than three. Um, That's when Laura takes all the time. Almost every game I take that first 
association action to yeah to snap that one up it really sucks to have like a hand of six cards and then someone triggers a break time and when break time happens everyone has a discard down to three unless they have that science token that specific one that lets you keep a hand limit of five instead yeah now if you push your association card all the way over to the right to strength five that's when you can send a worker over there to the strength five section and that's when you get to put a cube on one of those conservation projects I'm looking across the board right now and I see uh, there's one there that says birds have a certain number of bird icons in your zoo. Those can be bird icons from the animals themselves. They can be bird icons from maybe sponsors that you put down. I think those for birds, that's the only place you're going to get your bird icons. Yep. And if you have uh, five bird icons in your zoo and you do this strength five association action, great. Put your worker on the right spot on that association board and then take one of your cubes put it on the spot five of that birds card no one else can claim that particular goal so the next best thing anyone can do is maybe claim four birds and the the point reward for claiming that five bird objective is five conservation points and if you remember those are the the points on the other side of the board once like i said once you get to around the low 90s one conservation point starts being worth three appeal points very very good to get Uh, that's the association card Uh, That lets you put your workers down over there on the association board. The more workers you have, the more useful this association card becomes because every time it comes back up, that's another worker you can go put over there. Now, if you want to put a worker in the same spot twice, you're going to have to put more workers in there. And and the most you can do is go to a single spot twice. But chances are you're only ever really going to go to each spot once unless there's something you really, really want to do. And you've unlocked enough workers over the course of the game to send them over there. Now, that's the five cards. Uh, and if that would be it, that would probably be an okay game. But, Paul, there's another side to all of those cards. Bum, 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 bum. There is. That was the basic side. And over the course of the game, as you do things, you can start upgrading cards. There's four different ways to upgrade cards which means by the end of the game you could have four of your five cards upgraded now upgraded versions of these cards are really really useful these aren't just little minor upgrades here let's look at animals the upgraded versions of animals lets you play two animals at once way sooner instead of having to wait until you get to five you could play two animals at strength three but if you do wait till five you get a free rep you get so you get to move up on that reputation track just for the fact that you played it at strength five. The sponsors card that lets you take a, a break if you, you know, willing to go break five in order to uh, get five money. Nope, now you break five to get 10 money. You get double your money with this sponsor card. Uh, it also gives you a plus one bonus. So if you uh, have this sponsor card on your on your four spot, but you have a five sponsor card you want to play, you get X plus one. So you get to play that five sponsor card from your hand. You also get to play it from the board. We've been talking about reputation a lot, but this is where it starts coming in handy. This upgraded version of the sponsor card lets you play not only from your hand, but also from the board. The higher up you are on the reputation track, you get to treat the cards below your marker on the reputation track as if they were coming from your hand. You'll spend a little extra money to play those cards from there, but still super, super, super useful. And I would just like to add yeah. one or more sponsor cards that you can play. You're not limited yeah. to just one when you flip it. So with the animals, when you play them, there's a dollar cost. There's yeah. maybe a 
You're you know, limited by by the money you have. Right? right. They have to go in a certain size enclosure. Yeah. And there may or may not be some other conditions you have to meet to play them. With the sponsor cards, it's it's usually pretty simple. It's just a value on the card. Yeah. There yeah. are a few sponsor cards that also have conditions, but for the most part, they just have a number up on the upper left, and yeah. that's where your card, your sponsor card, needs to be in position to be able to play them. So when you have this flipped sponsor card, this upgraded sponsor card, yeah, you get the plus one bonus, which means you can play number five sponsors from the number four slot. Yep. But it also means that you, if you have the, maybe the card in the in the five slot, which yep. makes it a six, yep. you could play two, three sponsors. Yeah, there so, is actually a six sponsor floating around in that deck too. That's yeah. one of the only ways you can do that. Yeah, so if you've got two sponsors in your hand and there's one uh, on the market and your reputation marker is high enough and you play that sponsor at a high enough level, you just played three cards in one action. Boom, 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 As you know, provided you can meet the, the conditions. Th- again, super efficient. That's, that's what this game is about. It's about juggling what do I need to do right now and what can I wait in order to do more efficient stuff later. Um, the, the cards card is just all around just better. Uh, the, the the stronger it is, the more cards you get to draw, and the easier it is to snap. Normally, you can only snap if it's all the way at strength five, but the upgraded version of the card lets you snap if it's down at strength three. A snap being where you take from anywhere on that market. The build lets you build different buildings if it's upgraded. If if you uh, have it at, at a spot five and you want to build uh, a three and a two, great with that single build action, and you can pay for it. That's great. Much like with the sponsor's upgraded yeah. card, the build card lets you build multiple buildings provided that they're not the same building yeah. and that the total number of hexes you're ultimately putting down yep. is equal to or less than the value of the position where you had that card. The upgraded version of the build card also gives you access to more advanced building types. You oh, can yeah. Reptile hold, house. Yeah. The, aviary. And the, and the aviary. It lets you hold more animals in a smaller footprint. So if you just want to just pack them in there, that's going to be your route to doing that. And then finally, the upgraded version of the association card, again, allows you to do one or more association actions right now if you have the workers to do it and the association card is strong enough. So for example, if it's up here at spot five, you want to do association of value two and value three um, and you have the workers to pay for it, I'll put a worker in the two spot to give myself two rep and a worker in the three spot to to form a relationship with one of those partner zoos. Now, why would you want to do that as a quick aside? Relationship with a partner zoo, sometimes that's a prereq for an animal. Like, oh, do you want the giant panda? Got to have a relationship with uh, Asia. But it also makes all the animals from that region cheaper. Cheaper, three money cheaper. Uh, and then the association card also, the upgraded version, also says that you can make a donation. When you're done doing your association action, you can just throw money at the game and that's how you're going to get some points. It starts off being real cheap. Do you want one of those conservation points? Great, $2. Do you want one next time? Great, $5. And by the end, they get all the way up to $12. Uh, So, you know, getting there early is a good way to score some early points. And also it's a good way to throw away money at the end of the game because money is worth nothing. doesn't matter. (laughs) Conservation, the spread, like we said, the spread between your conservation points and your appeal is what matters. It's all that matters. I think I'll mention one more thing, and then we'll go on to how we feel. Sounds great. Uh, some of these actions, maybe you want to play super early. Maybe you want to play two animals right now, but it's not far enough down the track. The game gives you these little X markers. Mm-hmm. So for every X marker you spend, that card counts as one higher. 
So if I have an, uh, an animals card in slot two, and I wanna get it all the way up to the five in order to be able to play two animals, gotta spend three X's. One, two, three, done. That's pretty useful. It adds that little extra bit of flexibility. Uh, it stops you from just being locked into whatever the, the, the conveyor belt down here below your player mat actually has you doing. Um, I think that's it. I think we're gonna take a little bit of a, we're gonna pull back a bit, and, and I think we're gonna take some deep breaths. It's a big <laughs> game. It's a game about using these cards in their most efficient way possible to put down enclosures, fill them up with animals, get your appeal up there, and then at some point in the game, you'll start converting that effort into getting conservation points rather than appeal. And in some cases, literally trading in appeal for conservation points because there's ways to release animals. You know, you do this thing and now you've released this large rhinoceros into the wild. Which, side note, I think is pretty <laughs> funny to think about. Like. Are you just opening the cage and letting it out? <laughs> or... After hours, at least, hopefully. I don't know. Uh, you'd think that would increase the appeal, depending on what type of person likes going to these zoos. Uh, but that's it. That's the game. It, it's a big game. Uh, but w once you've got it down, the first time we played it, uh, you know, in our marathon here, it probably took us about three and a half hours to play with just two players. Yeah. At this point now, though, we can get through it in like 90 minutes. One of the reasons it took so long in the beginning is that unlike Terraforming Mars, which yeah. this game is compared to a bunch, yeah. and we were warned about this from Mark and Vanessa as well when we played, uh, not all of what the card can do is written in the text. You have to okay. pay attention to all the stuff going on on the border. Oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Terraforming Mars does go above and beyond and really just lay it out for you on the card in plain English what that card does. Yeah. This game definitely leans a little bit more on some iconography. Yep. And there are situations that we had to look up. Ah, and there still yeah. are situations we have to look up. Yeah. So there's things that aren't just intuitive or easily explained on the cards things that you'll have to kind of reference yeah. even when you've played it a few times. So that's one of the things that slows the game down. But I think the thing that really makes it tricky in the beginning when you're starting to play it is figuring out how you want to manage your five cards. It's a game mechanic that I haven't seen in any other games. No, not to say it doesn't exist. We just haven't seen it. Yeah. It's, Great. I love it. Yeah. But it definitely takes some time to wrap your head around it because you're constantly trying to balance the things that you want to do with not doing them before you can do them optimally. Yeah. <laughs> we both have had instances where our build was all the way over on the right in the strength five. And we were like, I got nothing to build. But I got to get that build card out of the way because I have other cards that I want to make stronger. Yes. I guess I'm just going to build a size one enclosure with this. <laughs> that's a waste. Should have done some better planning. But, you know, that that's going to happen. Oh, man, this is not the most efficient use of this card, but I got to do it. I got to clear it out of the way. Yeah. And I think one of the other things that slows it down a little bit, and even when you get used to it, there are just going to be some turns where you do have to slow down because you trigger a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So as Paul mentioned, there's a whole bunch of iconography with bonuses on yeah. all of the tracks. Yeah. So you're as you're marching along the conservation track, you get to certain points, there will be bonuses. Yeah. As you're marching along the reputation track, when you get to certain points, there will be bonuses. <laughs> 
I get this that flips this over, that unlocks this, that lets me get this, that lets me do that. Exactly. Yeah. So you'll have some turns where you take an action and it's fun when it happens to get this kind of waterfall effect of things that you get to do, but it does slow the game down for that turn. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's about when people maybe might start be tempted to uh, pull out their phone, start checking their email <laughs> or something like that. But, you know, you play this game a bunch and you start to get used to how how it all goes. Oh, we're getting to the point in the game where I'm going to have to start thinking about what I want when I when I cross that spot. Uh, mm-hmm. And you just start to get used to it and it just starts to flow. Man, we, we really enjoyed This game took us by surprise, honestly. I, I saw this game come out and and everyone was just going nuts over it. But I'm someone who, whenever I look into buying a game, the first thing I do is I look at the one reviews. I go to Board Game Geek. I look at the ones. <laughs> now, if you know, there's some people out down there who'll just put it a one because they'll be like, "I'm voting this a one because I don't like that other people are voting this a ten. Or zoos are bad. Zoos are bad. I'm voting this a one. There's one person who just goes and like anyone who's ever worked with some some particular publishing company. Um, quote, known for their plagiarism of bang, they'll rate every game that that publisher has ever released a one. I'll maybe skip those. Then you start to get the real interesting ones are like the twos, the threes, the fours, and the fives, where someone will say, this is a nice game. I got bored of it after two plays. Here's why. Or this game is broken because all you have to do is blah, 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 blah. And I went into it thinking like, man, this we have all of Terraforming Mars. Mm-hmm. Why do we need this game? And, and, and Mark brought it over, he sat it down, and we played it, and we said, you know, I understand why people think this is like Terraforming Mars, but it really isn't. It's not really like it at all. Terraforming Mars is a game about building this, this giant, whirring, rumbling, pulsating machinery, like, like Doc Brown's big, giant machine that makes a single ice cube, whereas this, definitely, this, there's some combos here. But it's it's not that much of an engine builder. It really isn't, I don't think. No, I don't, not in the same way, for sure. And one of the big differences is that we're not building the same zoo. No, right. We're I not, have my zoo, you have zoo, your zoo. Yeah. What you're doing on your map doesn't affect what I'm doing on my map. And that is both all. a positive and a negative. If you're someone mm. who, who likes that muscling out for territory in a game like Terraforming Mars or something, you're going to come into this and be like, wait, what? I just stare at my zoo board for two hours? <laughs> Look, then this game isn't for you, and that's totally cool. Not, not every game is for everybody. But if you've heard that this is like Terraforming Mars, if you are, are thinking that like, oh, man, I, I already have Terraforming Mars. I like Terraforming Mars. I've heard this is a lot like Terraforming Mars. I, I, you know what? Just from the two of us out here in in suburban Boston, Massachusetts, like we, we like both. We like both, and the room I for think both. Yeah, one of the very key indicators that this is not like terraforming Mars. Yeah, is, is that, that it's not on Mars. Well, I was going to say that I almost always win terraforming Mars. (laughs) That's true. you almost always win this game. Oh, I bet you we've turned a corner. I bet you we've turned a corner. I don't know about that, but I think that does say something, really. Yeah. Yeah. It says that I think we'll probably play this a lot more than terraforming Mars, especially (laughs) if I'm not feeling so hot. I come, you know, I'm done with work and I feel, you know, 90% of my workday is not knowing how to do things, not being able to figure things out. And I'm like, I just want to feel smart. (laughs) Laura? You want to play some Arc Nova, maybe? I got your favorite rosé. <laughs> Soul. 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 
Laura, I want you to close your eyes. Mm-hmm. And imagine you're a moon. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're floating out there in space. Yep. Past all the dust clouds and the comets and I'm the asteroids. I'm orbiting a planet. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> I see where you're going. And the floating Tesla mm-hmm. in space with a now decaying spacesuit mannequin. No recalcitrant billionaires to be found, however. And uh, you're look, you're a little lonely. And you pull out your your space phone, and you you decide to head out to Mooner, which is uh, which is the the app that moons use to, to in order to in order to, to make connections to other moons. Uh huh. And maybe you I don't know you have the power of adjusting the gravitational constant of the universe in order to swipe left or swipe right on other moons because no hands no hands no opposable thumbs your celestial body Mm -hmm. or maybe you send out little asteroids little chunks of yourself to get out there and swipe left and swipe right on this what would apparently be a huge like bigger than the samsung galaxy tablet (laughs) size phone what's bigger than a galaxy uh a universe Mm. the samsung universe phone that's it that's it And, and your goal here is to make connections. And that is definitely 100% the theme of this game, Nova Luna, by Uwe Rosenberg, based on an idea by Corna van Morsel. That is a Dutch name. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. There's one of those little, I can never tell how to pronounce it when the accent is facing what direction. That's an AQ, Cor- so it's probably Cornet. Cornet Van Morsel. Yeah, not so great with the Dutch. Published by Stronghold Games, and, uh, and, and all the power of the moon collapsed down into one little box here on our table. It's a game about building connections. But not really about moons. No, and nothing to do with As moons. As it turns out. Yeah. This is a game that we have played quite a bit when we went to uh, Reno, Nevada for an extended period of time to stay oh, with my parents yeah. after the kiddo was born. Many, many, many games were played. We brought this for our lighter fare option. We brought yeah. Terraforming Mars for our heavier fare option. Yep. Ended up playing a bunch of both of these. But I think you ended up getting your mom to play this with you as well, right? I did. It was, you know, you had, I think you had gone to bed or something and, and, and mom and I were still up. And I was like, mom, play this game with me. Come on, mom, mom. Mom, mom. It was like being a kid all over again. It was great. Mom. And finally, she played the game with me and she liked it. She thought it was all right. Actually, my parents have played this one with us as well. And they also found it tolerable. Yeah. So that's, I think, high points. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this game. What do you get in the box and how does it play? And we'll come back to uh, our feelings about it. Oh, well, the centerpiece is this moon wheel, Yeah. which looks like a wheel. Yeah, it's got all these faces on it. It reminds me of that silent film, that Voyage to the Moon silent film, where they get in the rocket and they take off and it lands in the, the moon's eye. Oh, and he's very angry. You mean the video by the Smashing Pumpkins? I'm pretty sure it was based on a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it was not made by the Smashing Pumpkins in the early 1900s. <laughs> Billy Corgan's old, but I don't think he's that old. Yeah, what this is the main centerpiece, this moon wheel. Yep, so it, it effectively is the time tracker. Yeah. You can just keep going around in a circle. Yep, you have your little token, them. move it around. Yeah, march on those little moon faces. Uh, you also have the, on the outside of the spokes of the wheel are 
the positions where you will place the tiles for the game. So yeah. it's your market, basically. Yep. And uh, and one of those spots will always be taken up by this cool little uh, moon marker. They didn't have to do this. I guess they had some extra room on the punch board and decided to make a little moon marker. It's a nice little... Moon marker. Moon marker. Yeah, I was trying to think about what else to call it, but that really is just what it is. It's a moon mark. It marks, marks the moon. It's a moon marker. So if there are other games of Yuva Rosenberg's that use this mechanic yeah. where you have to spend time to pick up a tile. Yep, like patchwork. And, mm-hmm, patchwork and cottage garden come yeah. to mind. But the moon marker will be positioned in the place of the tile that you just took. And yep. then the next player, which could be you in some cases, could be you again, but it might also be the one of the other players, uh, will have the choice of the next three tiles to choose from for their action. That's That's it. That's what you get. And you get these tiles. We'll describe the tiles in a little bit, but they they all have numbers and colors, symbols on them. And then you get a bag here full of wooden tokens. Uh, One of those tokens is used to go around the time track, and then the rest of these tokens are used to actually go on the tiles as you acquire them and put them in the space in front of you. And I guess we'll just lead right into how the game is played. Yeah. Sure. You start out the game by laying this, this moon market tracker thing in the middle of the table, and you populate all the spaces around it with tiles, except for one space where the moon marker goes. It doesn't really matter which one. Typically, you just put it up at the top. And everyone puts one of their little tracking discs at the uh, very top of the moon marker market. <laughs> Say that? Perfect. Yeah. Everyone takes one of their tokens and puts it there at the top of the time tracker. Uh, you determine your play order randomly and stack them from top to bottom in that order. And then the first player gets to take one of these tiles. They get their choice of the one of the three tiles coming from the moon marker in the clockwise direction. Yep. And the tiles have on them in the upper left a cost in the form of time. Yep. So if you see a three in the upper left, you will move your marker three spots. Yep. Clockwise around, placing your token on top of other people if you've landed on the same spot. Uh, If you see a six, you'll move six. You get the idea. Yeah. Then there are a few other things on each tile. Number one is each one has a background color that is one of four colors. Got your dark blue, your light blue, your yellow, and definitely red, not orange. It's kind of an orangey red. Oh, no, it is. It is red. This is a very contentious topic. Listener, I'm looking at it right <laughs> with now. Our listener, friend Anne. <laughs> look, listener, look at this right now, and you tell me: is it red or orange? Two most difficult at gmail.com. Red or orange? We will read the results a later episode. Can you like wave it in front of the mic so they can? I'm at doing least it. Hear yeah. what color it is. I've been doing is. that this yeah. whole time. There you go. Mm-hmm. Red. See, I mean, look, that, that's it's pretty clear to me. <laughs> you don't you don't hear the tiles. So you got the background colors. What else you got on here? Well, you've got the time tracker. Time. You got the, the time. Yep. I'm mm-hmm. looking at one here. It says six. Yep. Upper left-hand corner. Yep. The time. Then the rest of the tile has yep. space for objectives. Yeah. Sometimes it has zero. So I can have up to three objectives. And those objectives, if they are present, will be some combination of colored dots yep. of the aforementioned four colors. You could have just one dot. It could be two or three dots or four dots even. Yeah. There could be a mix of colors. It could be all one color. Yeah. I'm looking at one right now that uh, has a cost of five. It's a dark blue background and it has two objectives on it. One is uh, two yellow dots and the other is just a single light blue turquoise dot here on it. 
And what that means is this tile wants to be touching, for example, two yellows. So if you, uh, over the course of the game, uh, put two yellows next to this tile, great. You have fulfilled that tile's goal and you take uh, one of your marker tokens and you cover that goal up on that tile. Good work. You've got it touching two yellows. You don't always have to meet all the objectives on a tile, and in fact, you will not. There's absolutely no way to meet all the objectives on all your tiles. You're just not going to do it. Yeah, that might be some kind of absolutely <laughs> magic game if it happens. Yeah. Uh, the thing about these objectives, though, is if I'm looking at this tile that has two yellow dots on it, those two yellow tiles that's touching the tile don't have to be directly touching the tile. You can do chains. Ooh, chains. Chains. So you're telling me that if I have a tile yeah. that has, let's say, four yellow dots on it, yep. I could just chain out a string of four, but only one of those needs to touch my tile? That is exactly what I'm saying. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that only works, though, with the same color tiles. You can't, mm. you can't chain a yellow and then a red and then a yellow and have that count as, a, as a, an objective that's like two yellows and a red. So you're going to be laying these tiles out in front of you in a grid, and you're going to be using your markers to cover up the goals on these tiles as they start getting surrounded by the colors that they want to be surrounded by or possibly chained if you if you are really clever in your tile placement. And you'll just do that. You'll take a tile, you move the moon marker. If you happen to take a tile and you move your little token on the time track only maybe a couple of spaces and you're still in last place, you get to go again. Yeah, that's one of the great things about this game Yeah, is not only are you constantly evaluating the market for what's going to be most beneficial to you, but you're also balancing the strategy of occasionally wanting to remain in last place so that you can get more tile picks. Do I want that tile that's really, really good but is going to cost me seven time, or am I willing to take two suboptimal tiles because it'll get me two tiles instead of one. Mm -hmm. That's a decision you're going to be making over the course of the game, probably multiple times. Yep. I think in this most recent game that we played with Anne, we each had the option of taking multiple moves before catching up to the rest of the pack. And the object of the game is to be the first person to get rid of all of your tokens. That is to say, you've covered up 20 goals on the tiles that you have taken over the course of the game because everyone has 20 of these markers. Now, in a two-player game, there's there's this little house rule that we do, and I'm pretty sure other people also play with it, which is if you're the first person to get rid of all of your, your tokens, great. The other person gets uh, one more turn, and if they can get rid of all of their tokens and not overtake you on the time track... Then they win. Then that means they have also done it, but they have done it faster than you. Technically and, in fewer time moves. Technically yeah. in fewer time moves than, than they win. Uh, we tried that in the three-player version. I don't really know if, if it's necessary in the three- or four-player game, but we did it here with this three-player game, and uh, Anne won. And then it swung the victory to me because I was able to take a, a cheap time token. Yep, and finish that last one right under the wire and finishing just right behind her. Yep. And I was way off. I would have taken at least two or three more turns to finish. So that's it. That's the game. Nova Luna, uh, we got it for cheap. You know, I think we got it for like 20 bucks on a clearance day or on a sale day or something on Amazon. Uh, I would I would consider this up there like best 20 bucks we've spent on a game. We've yeah. played it so much. It's super accessible. Yeah. 
It doesn't really have a theme. No, but that who cares? It look, but it looks pretty, right? It looked, it Azul does look doesn't have a theme. You yeah, know, a lot true. of games don't have a theme, but they're still great to play as long as they look neat. As long as something about it is 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 interesting to look at. Now again, Anne, our yeah. color theorist artist friend <laughs> did take some issue with the color of the wooden tokens as yeah. far as the aesthetics are concerned there's a little bit of clashing action that happens yeah she didn't like that the, that the tiles were blue but that the, also the markers are blue and that some of the tiles are red in her mind they were orange and the and these and the player tokens are a different color of orange yeah and so what we decided on was like black white gold and silver probably would have been would have been better but Anne is very particular about colors. <laughs> There's a reason why we're interested in if whether or not things pass the Anne test. It's an extremely, extremely minor complaint in the grand scheme of things. This is a good game. It is yeah. solid. Uh, I think we did want to take a minute to describe some of the other options that are in a similar vein to this because... This game is uh, hard to get right now. Yeah. I, I, you know, the publisher insists that there's a reprint coming. But I haven't seen one, and it you, you know you know you go to the board game Oracle or board game Atlas, and it just looks out of stock everywhere. Uh, so if you are interested in this game and you've heard that there are some alternatives, uh, we'll run down them right now. Um, coming up soon, if it's not already out now, by the time you hear this, coming out soon is a game called Framework, uh, also by Herr Rosenberg, and uh, it's uh, it's pretty much this game without the time track without the time wheel mm-hmm. everyone's going to get a chance to take some some tiles everyone's going to put them in a grid they've got their own what their own color is they've got colors that they want um, there's some minor differences tiles aren't just a single color anymore in framework they can be multiple colors this tile is green you know silver and brown uh, it can it can be three colors at once or it can count as two of a color that's interesting. And your objectives on some of the tiles will have to be done in a certain order. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's true. So framework, that's coming out soon. It's a drafting system for the tiles, right? Yeah. It's not. There's no time wheel. Yep. Um, there's another game that he released called uh, Sagani, which I think also does not have any kind of time wheel system, but you do draft tiles and you do want them to be put next to each other. But instead of saying, hey, this tile just wants a couple of this color and a couple of that color, instead, it's this tile wants there to be a green tile in, in this, that direction. In that direction. It doesn't matter how far away it is, as long as, as it doesn't matter how many tiles are between it, as long as there's a, a green tile in that direction. Forward, backward, diagonally, whatever. And I think they're all standardized. So if there's, if there's a tile that wants... Uh, three different tiles of, of whatever colors, that's going to be a six-point tile. And a, a tile that, that has four gold tiles that it wants is going to be 10 points or something like that. So um, the idea there, I think, is to score points rather than get rid of all of your markers. And then the the first person to score 60 points, I think, in like a three-player game. It depends on the number of players. Yeah, wins the game. So it becomes a race to, to like 60 or 45 or 70 or something like that uh that's sagani and i think that is also pretty available out there uh but the one we really want to talk about is habitats uh, boardgametables.com just had a kickstarter earlier this year for habitats along with a couple other games 
And when the rulebook for Nova Luna here says that uh, this game is based on an idea by Corne Van Morsel. Best guess here. Best guess. I think what happened was uh, uh, Herr Rosenberg saw this game and was like, that's a cool game. I want to make a game like that. But it was similar enough to Habitats that, you know, for moral reasons or for just cool guy reasons or possibly strictly legal reasons, uh, <laughs> Mr. Van Morsel got his name on the box here for Nova Luna as well. Habitats is a game much like this where you're trying to form a grid and you want uh, your tiles to be next to other tiles of certain colors. Like this snake tile wants to touch a yellow tile, uh, two red tiles, and a water tile. And I think you can chain tiles in, in that as well. Uh, but the big difference there is that the way you get your tiles is there's this grid of tiles that you also have access to and you move your little jeep around and on this turn i want my jeep to move up onto this blue tile so then you take that blue tile put it in your habitat and replace the tile that your jeep just moved off of so it's not quite like the time track but you are able to plan ahead as far as what tiles you're going to be able to get, mm-hmm. like two or three turns ahead. Not just a random draw from the right. bag. Yep. No one, no one's going to take them out from under you. So that I feel like the without having played the game, it seems to me like that game would be a little bit more heads down, a little less thinking about what other people might take or or the implications of if I take this tile or that. There's also uh, uh, eras in the game, like era one, era two, era three, where there's some and where there's some scoring mid game scoring goals that you'll want to run. A little bit more complicated scoring rather than just a race to see who can finish first. Uh, the thing about the habitats, though, and the thing about uh, uh, Mr. Van Morsel here, we want to take a second to get serious for a bit here. We've reviewed one of his games in the past. Factory Funner. Factory Funner. We really like it. Yeah. Uh, in the time since, however, we've really been made aware of the type of interactions that uh, that the designer Van Morsel has had online, especially with regards to COVID-19. Some of you who may be looking at the framework Board Game Geek forum thread there may see a question, someone saying, how similar is this to Nova Luna? And you'll see myself saying, hey, you know, it does seem pretty similar. It could just be that uh, there's some contractual reasons or it could be because of this. And it's a link to a Twitter post that shows Mr. Van Morsel's views on the COVID-19 pandemic, the efficacy of masks and vaccination, uh, along with some uh, thinly veiled uh, assessments of people's intelligence about whether or not they choose to wear masks and that sort of thing. And then you'll also see a bunch of deleted posts. Yep. You won't actually see what I just described because the moderators came along later and just nuked almost the entire thread. Um, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. But you don't have to because you can go find his Twitter account and you can see that all this guy talks about is COVID-19 and and how stupid masks are and how ineffective vaccinations are and how we're all sheep and how we're all idiots for wearing masks uh, because apparently COVID-19 is not a problem in the Netherlands. So therefore, we're all dumb people for wearing masks. That's definitely a paraphrase, but that's the impression that he seems to want to give and that's the impression that I take. And so for that, dear listener, if that sort of thing matters to you, then uh, yeah, I'm just going to say it. If that sort of thing matters to you, probably don't give this designer your money. Uh, don't buy Habitats. Don't buy Nova Luna. Stick with Herr Rosenberg by all accounts. He's a pretty cool guy. Pick up Framework. Pick up Sagani. I, I would say of all these games, Framework is probably the closest to Nova Luna. Yep. Um, 
I'm not calling for any kind of boycott or anything. I'm saying if this matters to you, then do with that information what you will. Personally, not interested in buying habitats. Since we've already given him our money for Factory Funner, we're going to keep it. I'm not going to go back and and retroactively, I'm not going to George Lucas a previous podcast (laughs) and stick in this uh, dialogue there in our previous review of Factory Funner because, you know, it's what it is and we know what we know now and we didn't really know what we knew then. Uh, But I'm just giving that information to you right now. But I'll tell you what, if you can find a used copy of Nova Luna, you know, and you're able to to kind of say, well, look, it's a used copy. He wouldn't do He's already gotten someone's money. He's not going to get my money. Then like, yeah, sure. Pick up a copy, a used copy of Nova Luna or something like that. Um, that's that's what it is. And I think we'll just leave it at that. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah. Nova Luna. Good game. We're keeping mm. it. Yeah, we're keeping it. Uh, questionable co-designer. Maybe if you if you can't find Nova Luna or if that matters to you, go pick up Framework or Sagani. Uh, look into that. But that's it. Uh, we are going to uh, swipe right here on Nova Luna. We've already got it. We're going to keep it. It's not going anywhere. Uh, but if, like you said, if this sort of thing matters to you, go for Nova Luna's sister. Yeah, go for Nova Luna's what younger sister? Yeah. Oh, I don't like where this is going. I'm like, I'm getting in a rocket. I'm taking off before we get weird. When I look out into space, past the asteroids, past the gas clouds, past the nebulae. <laughs> the ne- oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I see? That Tesla floating in space put out there by a recalcitrant billionaire? No. Oh. Because it's 1977. Oh. And that recalcitrant billionaire is but a wee lad. Yeah, I actually don't know how old that recalcitrant billionaire is. We'll assume he's too young to be of any real influence. Yep, that particular vehicle was but an apple in his eye. (laughs) Yeah. Or in his lunchbox. Uh, No, it's 1977, and we are colonizing the moon. Now, we're wearing bell-bottoms while we're doing this. Certainly. I mean, like space (laughs) bell-bottoms. So they're cuffed, I guess. Do they have their own little helmets down at the bottom by the ankles? (laughs) Glass helmets? Yep, that's that's definitely it. Yeah. 1977, that is craziness. We did not colonize the moon in 1977. Well, this is not a historical board game, actually. Oh, I was way under the wrong impression about this game. So yeah. you're saying there's all some kind of alternate history business. Yeah, it's actually not that we are laying out actual blueprints for colonizing the moon. Got it. We, what are we doing? Well, we're playing a game here. Oh, right. Mm, this is points. not a simulation. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, Luna Capital. Luna Capital. So the 1970s aesthetic on this game yeah. is... Very, uh, I, I don't know, Flash Gordon? Is that too early? Yeah, is that too early? I think it's too, too early. Flash Gordon predates this by a good twenty years, twenty-five years probably. It kind of reminds me, maybe a little bit like of Doctor Seuss or something, as yeah. far as the the buildings. Maybe a little bit of a Futurama, actually. Yeah. Yes. Definitely yeah. a little bit of the Futurama aesthetic. Yeah. Um, it's cute. Yeah. It's nice to look at. Let's talk about what we are looking at. We're looking at the moon. Welcome. 
to the moon. Keep keep an eye out for that big shell that's lodged in the eye. <laughs> it's been making the moon real angry lately. But if you can get around that, you'll find all kinds of things. You'll find meteors. You'll find habitats, banker buildings, more meteors. Uh, let's see. Pears oh. and lemons and oranges. Dem- oh, my. Demolition machines that are knocking down the habitats to build new ones. But how that's represented here in front of us on the table is a nice layout board here in the center that acts as the marketplace. Mm -hmm. You've got a deck of cards here uh, in one spot. And coming out from the deck of cards is the cards. Now, the cards in this game are nothing but plots of land. Uh, A plot of land can have four spots, sometimes three, if one of them is a double. Mm -hmm. And they have a number in the upper left. That represents the order in which you need to build them. So they would have to go from one on the left side to 10 on the right side as you're laying your plots out and you can have three rows. Uh, And then down below the plots, you've got the buildings that you're gonna put down from the previously mentioned meteors to the previously mentioned habitats to the previously mentioned banker buildings to everything that I previously mentioned is all represented (laughs) on these individual little tiles. And the idea is that you'll be taking these cards, putting them in front of you, and putting these tiles on those cards to build out your little mega complex. Uh, Let's see, what else we got? We've got little tokens that you can collect and spend in order to move your buildings around. If you realize later on that your ideas were dumb and you want to uh, move some buildings around, you can spend some of these tokens that you can collect. You've also got those little... I call them robots with glasses. That's that's what they are. They're little robots with glasses. Yep. Uh, those can be used to overlay the number on one of your cards in case you want to play something in a spot that does not uh, increase from left to right numerically. Like, oh, man, I really want to put this card, this three here, but I can't. Because it's to the right of a seven. Yeah, but if I put one of these little robot nerd glasses dudes on there, boop, that three is... Not a three anymore. It's robot, mm-hmm. which, it's which nothing. is wild. It can yeah. go anywhere. Go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, coming back to this this board here that functions as the market, you've got this big chunky blue token that kind of moves around. It doesn't kind of. It does move around. <laughs> <laughs> it, but not on its own. Right. I was just going to say that. It, someone has to move it. <laughs> the year is 1977. We have not invented ambulatory wooden blocks yet. Uh you move that around when, when it's your turn and you take a card from the market. You'll put that there to show that anyone who wants to take something from that slot is going to have to pay up. We'll cover uh, that. Penalty. Yeah, yep. I'll cover that in a bit. And then at the top of the market board, you've got three public objectives. Two of them are, I guess, minor objectives, and one of them is a major one. And the, the minor ones are worth uh, smaller points, and the major one is worth bigger points. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the board. The, the middle of the the middle of the table is is this board and these cards, and then right in front of you is going to be what starts off as just one card, but then it will eventually, over the course of the game, build out to twelve cards. Twelve cards. You know, they'll either be like a grid, like Laura has right there, left over from our last game, or some other kind of rows with things branching off of them a little bit, yeah. like what I've got here. You're only restricted by. Your being imagination. Li- <laughs> being limited to three rows. Yeah, three and rows. And the aforementioned placement 
has to be lower numbers on the left yeah. increasing with everyone to the right. So if you start your whole thing with an eight, great. Then anything to the right of that on that row has to be an higher than an eight. Now, if you want to put something down close to that eight, but it's going to be less than the eight, you start a new row. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. They, just the individual rows themselves. And you don't have to build from left to right. You could no. start with the high numbers and build down as yeah. long as the overall order of your cards is yeah. going from low to high. Yep. So we are now veering into rules territory. That's kind of it. That's what's in the box, right? Yeah, that's it. Now, you they do give you these wholly unnecessary cardboard tiles that represent your one of the four playable factions. But the factions aren't any different. They are all the same. We've got Astro Burger, Luna Taxis. What do you got over there? Space Royal Cruise. And I've got Moon Paradise Real Estate. That looks like Loki. That What's look Loki, like Loki doing on the moon? Mm-hmm. Selling me beachfront property on the moon. They have fun little cartoon art, but really, I think they're only for the art. Yeah. What you actually use in conjunction with these tiles are the three wooden tokens you have that have your company's symbol on them. They are different colors. Yep. Uh, Space Royal Cruise has a nice little pink rocket ship. Yep. Luna Taxis got these little yellow taxis that look like well, actually normal taxis with wheels. You'd think they'd be hovering or something. I don't know. Then you got Astro Burger, which looks like a space invader with a burger on mm-hmm. top. It does. And then Moon Paradise is just a moon. Yep. There you go. Nice little colored tokens. Also, what comes with the game are these completely, additionally unnecessary cardboard holders and towers and all that other stuff. Uh, so they're so <laughs> cute. I mean, the the and rocket ship so tile holder is adorable, but not functional, not helpful for actually playing the game. It's no. much easier if you just have a, a cr- bag. If you're drunks like us, you've got the Crown Royal bag you can just throw tiles into and just draw from there. Yeah. I think that's it, though. Really? Yep. I mean, are we missing anything? No, it's actually a small box. It's a yeah. tiny box. So let's talk about how the game is played. Yeah. So you already mentioned that there is this market in the middle. Four slots for terrain cards. Those are the cards of the deck. Uh, four slots for building tiles that are you know, lined up with one of the terrain cards. And the spaces for building tiles have four slots. The way the game plays out is that on your turn, you will take a card and the corresponding set of building tiles with that card. Then you'll move the wooden block that does not have wheels and move on its own. (laughs) You will pick it up and you'll put it in the spot where you just drew from before replenishing the card and the tiles in that spot so that the next player will have to pay a penalty, which we'll talk about specifically in a second, uh, if they choose to take the same card. The idea being that you're trying to force other people to take what's left on the board. Yeah. So the very first time you take a card, there will be only one building tile that comes with it. Yep. You already start the game with three terrain cards in your hand. So you'll be drawing a fourth one. And then from your now four cards, you have to play one to your tableau. Yep. And then you also have to place any building tiles that you picked up on your tableau. So the very, it's just one tile. That's real easy to do. So easy for the first one. Yeah. Uh, Wait, what? The first one. uh Uh-huh. So usually the terrain cards will have some quadrant already taken up with one of the icons yeah. a building just about every one of them there yeah. uh, you know what there might be one or two in there that that won't have anything but i would say i'd be this one 
I that found one. one. That's got a my, my three. S- oh got a no, scaffolding you're right. on it. It does. Okay, yeah. never mind. Maybe they all. Yeah, I, I'd be willing to bet that they all do. They I don't might. know if I'd win money in that bet, but I would be willing to make that bet. We're not going to look through all of the cards, dear listener, but let's just say that they all do. I'll do it right okay, now. Okay, perfect. Let's see. No, 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 no. Can we get some hold music while you go through the whole deck, please? Sure. No, 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 and no. Was that all of them? Yeah. Perfect. Okay. How long's it been? <laughs> Let's rewind the tape. <laughs> so all of the cards will have one quadrant taken up with a building already on it. Yeah. And then you'll have to place whatever tiles on your cards. Yep. So doesn't as, have to be the one you just laid down. It can be no, any so, ones that you've already done up to that point. Yeah, exactly. The very first one is going to be the first card you play, so it has yeah. to go on it. Yep. But then when you take your second card, it will come with two tiles. Oh. And your third card will come with three tiles. And your fourth Ooh, card. I got this. I got this. Nine tiles. So I wouldn't say so wrong. Paul, you're usually pretty good at patterns here. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm terrible at math. (laughs) Four tiles. Four tiles. So, yeah, if you're sitting here thinking, well, but every card already has one space taken up, doesn't that start to get pretty cramped, even if you get more cards (laughs) in front of you? That's a great question. It does. And the answer is yes. Yes. So what are we doing here when we're placing these tiles? Well, a variety of things is the answer. Yeah. Yeah. So a good place to start is with a group objectives here, which is going to have some kind of rules. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to say more. No. Yeah. So a good place to start here. No, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. (laughs) It's called active listening. Cuts. So a good place to start is with the three common objectives. There are no hidden objectives. These are the objectives. Everyone knows what everyone's working on. Yep. And we have these three laid out from the game we just played. We've got a simple one here that says, uh, hey, just have a building of this particular type on each of three cards that are in a column. They don't have to be lined up or anything like that. As long as you have one of this building type on each of three cards in a column, you'll get seven points. Uh, We've got another one here that says uh, you need to have three of this type of building uh, adjacent to each other in either a column or a row. So maybe you've got a card with a building of that type uh, in one of the slots on the upper right. And then the next card that's touching it has that building in two more spots uh, up there on the top row of that card. Uh, and you'll get yourself six points. And then the the most difficult of the three here that we played in our most recent game mm-hmm. says, of your 12 cards that you play over the course of the game, eight of them need to be in this kind of two, grid. In this grid, right? Uh, two by four. In this case... I think, Laura, you ended up doing that, but after I did. Yeah. Which leads us right into the tricky part of these objectives. Yeah. So the game is played in three rounds. Yeah. And in each round, it unfolds the same way. Your first card is going to have one tile. Your second card will come with two tiles. Your third card will come with three. Your fourth will come with, I can't remember how many it was. Remind me again. Uh, 16. Mm. Yep. And then there will be some quick bookkeeping. Very, very simple. Just... Did you meet one of these objectives? Would you like to put one of your little wooden tokens on it? Yes, I would. And then you do it. And then you do it. And then you set up again for the next round with the the next stack of Next stack tiles. of tiles. There's three groups of tiles, A, B, and C. And the A's are used first, the B's in the middle, and then the C's in, in round three. Now, the thing about these objectives, if we haven't made it clear enough, is that once someone claims an objective, 
that's it. No one else can claim that objective for the rest of the game. So if Laura and I claim this six-point objective at the same time, great. But if I claim the 10-point objective in round two, Laura can't come along in round three and claim it again. Yep. So the goal with these is to try to achieve them as soon as possible. The eight-card one, obviously, the soonest you could possibly do that would be the end of the B phase because that's when you have eight cards. See, (laughs) you are the one who's good at math here. Okay. (laughs) I didn't manage to achieve this one before you did, so fail on me for that. But that's how the game plays out. Other things that would help you decide where you might want to put these tiles that you're picking up are all to do with scoring, really. Now, scoring is mainly about clusters of things. The chief way you're going to get tons and tons of points is by having uh, large clusters of what the game calls vital systems. There are these buildings, they have little hearts on them, and there's four categories of them. There's uh, the heart with a triangle, there's a heart with a square, and there's a heart with an octagon, and then there's a heart with this kind of glass dome over it. And a picture of fruit. And a picture of fruit. All of these vital systems will give you kind of an increasing amount of points based on the the largeness of your largest cluster of them. <laughs> so, you know, if you have one or two, maybe they'll give you one or three points all the way up to like 10 plus where you'll get 45 points. And, and that's for those four types. And then uh, the fourth type, which is that, that glass dome with the fruits, then you'll also get points for sets of fruit. If you have, what are they, uh, pears, lemons, and oranges? I think so, or are? peaches. It's an orange something. Something. They're very tiny. But if you manage to collect a set, one of each of those three fruits, they don't have to be adjacent, just collect a set of them, you'll get yourself some points. If you get a second set, you'll get yourself even more points. Not just double, but like more than double. And then if you get yourself a third set, that's even more points. That's crazy. Points, points, points. Points, points, points. Then there are a few other building types too. Uh, number one is, what are those, the banks? Yeah, the banks, those are just straight two points each. They don't have to be clustered. Just nope. have them anywhere, two points each. Yeah. And then there's these buildings that have kind of objectives on them, yeah. which get you points for surrounding that building with yeah. whatever type of building it wants to be surrounded by. For stuff that they're touching. So I have one on my grid right here that gives me two points for every meteorite that it's touching. Boom, 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 boom. And I got two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve points for having this building in the center of this big group of meteorites. And meteorites. Meteorites give you points. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have the most. In a two-player game, if you have the most, you get ten points. But like in a three- or four-player game, you'll probably get some points, I'm assuming. We haven't played this with three or four players. And the rule book is all the way over there. But <laughs> I'm assuming you get some points for second place in a three-player game probably. and so on. Um, but yeah, most meteorites get some points. And uh, I think that's it. Oh, wait, nope. I've got uh, cards in hand. At the end of the game, you'll get three points for every card in hand. Now, everyone starts with three. But as we mentioned earlier, one of the penalties for taking the card and tile combo from that the That has board, just been swiped. That has just been swiped by the player before you is you have to burn one of your cards. So you are giving up three points so that you can take the cards that were just laid out in the spot that the person before you took from. Mm -hmm. That's almost not worth doing, except sometimes you get a big score out of it. It's it's a strategy decision. and If it's got the right stuff, it's probably worth it. Yeah. 
So a couple of other little things that we're looking at here, minor details, really. You already laid out basically all the points, but there are a few other things on the cards that we're looking at here on the tiles that we're looking at, which I'll just lay out, but they don't really affect the points that you just mentioned. No, but they do make it more difficult to put things where you want them to go. Yes, absolutely. So these scaffolding sites can only have the... uh, bonus point buildings that need to be surrounded by a certain type of building. That's the only kind of building you can put there. You also have these tiles that are demolition cranes. Yeah. And those can be placed on top of those scaffolding sites. If you want to put a different kind of building there, it can also be placed on top of a building that you've already placed or a meteor so that you can build anything else on top of it. Yeah. I'd say that they kind of roll in playing like, I don't know, rust in peace by Megadeth or something, but it's, (laughs) It's 1977, and I don't think that song had had been released yet. Yeah, probably not. No. So then lastly, there are those initial tokens that we mentioned. There's two types. The one that lets you swap two buildings. This is going to be a bonus that is indicated on some of your building tiles. Yeah, you'll pick up a building off of this market, uh, and, and it'll have a little icon on it that says, also, take one of these Recycler-looking icon token things. Mm-hmm. You can use those to swap two buildings if you realize you've made a dumb move. Or similarly, an icon that lets you pick up one of those little glasses, robot, wooden bits, yeah. so that you can play a card in a numbered spot where it doesn't actually fit. Now, as is usual with uh, board games described in podcast format, this sounds mm-hmm. like a very heavy game. Oh, no, it's not. It's it so is light. It, it is a very light game. Yeah, it's really accessible. We've played some other games sort of similar to this where you have to take a combination. Yep, a couple you might have heard of would be uh, maybe Overboss. That came out a year or two ago. A more recent one is Cascadia. Cascadia that won the, how do you say that again? The Spieliara. Yes, that one. Uh, That's another one of those games where it's like take a tile and take a token. And that's kind of the same thing here. Take a card and take a building or two or 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really, everyone's kind of working towards the same things. Yep. But in their own spots, in their own spe- in their own areas. Yep. Not a lot of player interaction here. Nope. Typically, you're not paying much attention to what your opponents are doing in this game. It's Very really a heads, heads down. down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and with that, I think we can maybe transition into how, how we feel about it. What do we think? On a scale of 1 to 10, we are... Uh, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. So this game has definitely some visual appeal. Yeah, it's cute. It is cute. Yeah. It's a little bit fiddly. There's a lot of tiles yeah. that you'll be placing over the course of the game. Yeah. And it does start to get crowded on your tableau and things kind of It's a little difficult to kind of zoom out a little bit and see what the actual state of your board is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also is difficult when it comes to scoring for that reason because yeah. most of your spots ultimately will be taken up by the end of the game. And the buildings, while charmingly illustrated, kind of bleed together in your vision when you're yeah. trying to find your largest group of a thing. Yeah. It I can, agree. Yeah, it can be a little bit not fun yeah. to count out your score at the end. And my big complaint about this game, I mean, we know how <laughs> I'm holding up the rocket ship towel holder right now, which is so cute and yeah. so ineffective. <laughs> so unnecessary. Yeah. Uh, but my big complaint is that 
it seems like the best strategy for winning is not to diversify and try to do all of the things well, but really to focus on just a couple of things and build really big groups because the points do not scale linearly. So you had what a group of like eight or 10 of those, uh, they kind of, they kind of buildings with the pink center. Yeah. They, they scale, uh, they scale not linearly up to a point and then they, then they just kind of start giving you five points for everyone up to like 10. Yeah. But, you know, it, it really like, oh, I could place this bill. I could do this and I could do this and I could or I could just put this building down, and get myself five more points. How many of those pink heart buildings did you have? Ten. So you had ten and you got 40 points. Yeah. And I had five and I got 15. Yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I I can't remember. I Again, that's way over there and I don't feel <laughs> like looking at it. But the point still stands. Yeah. So to win the game, really, your best bet is to excel in a few areas yeah. rather than as I tried to do a little of this, do a little of everything that, have yeah. nice groups of everything it yeah. seemed like it was going to be a winning strategy That's but a good looking city you got there I'd want to live there okay yeah there's <laughs> there's no points for having a good looking city on this one yeah well maybe that'll come in the expansion <laughs> but uh yeah Luna Capital it, it's cute if look if it if the uh, aesthetic appeals to you and you don't have a game like it you probably can't do wrong with it, mm-hmm. but you know, in our house, 200 plus games, uh, you know, even though the box isn't incredibly huge, we could use all the space we can get. And if we're going to play a game like this, we're probably going to play it with people who are not, uh, super gamers and mm-hmm. we'll probably play something like Cascadia. Yeah. Something like that. Agreed. Yep. So, uh, pack it up and, uh, and get those secret Tesla plans <laughs> off the moon and back down to the earth. Uh, back in the hands of old uh, Errol Musk, the sire of, uh, of, of, of young, young strapping Elon, and, uh, and pave the way for the future that we all absolutely love living in. Hello? Hello from the future. Hello. From the far, far future. We're reaching out to you, dear listener, from the year 2574. Don't ask how we got here. It's a long story. It's at least 450 years in the telling. (laughs) But we come to you now, here in the middle of this episode of this podcast, to tell you... If you care at all yeah. about the integrity of the space-time continuum. I know I do. You have to You listen to us right now, dear listener. You have to stop listening to this episode, and you have to go skip ahead to episode 18. Because that is the order That's, in which things were recorded. Yeah. that I, it, our note, We have our notes here, and, and they are transcripted in our brain computers, which we have here in the year 2574. And, and they say... That you have to listen to uh, all of our episodes chronologically in the order they were recorded, which mm-hmm. means yes, you must stop right now and go listen to episode eighteen. Now, I, I should say, you should. Y- you don't have to. I mean, okay. That's depending true. on how you feel about having an alternate timeline version of yourself who is murderous. Um, we don't know if they're murderous. They could be murderous. They could be covetous. They could be lecherous. But coming for you. But probably not good for you. Mm-hmm. Except for my alternate timeline, who is a total bro, 
and we hang out all the time. <laughs> yeah, I need to give you guys some space. <laughs> it, it, yeah, the, it, it's a love fest sometimes. But you, dear listener, stop right now and go listen to episode 18. We'll see you when you get back. Hello. Hello, dear listener. Ah, welcome back from the future. Our chronological computer machine has detected that you, dear listener, have returned to us from episode 18 and are now listening to the rest of episode 17, which is fantastic because it seems the the integrity of the space-time continuum will remain integrated (laughs) for, for another day for the future in the past. Good. Thank you very much. You have done us all a great service, dear listener. Now, continuing on with Capital Lux. Welcome to Lux. Thank you. Yes, as you can see, we're constantly growing and developing. Some of the greatest minds in the entire world are here in Lux. Oh, wow. Yes, we have the spiritualists. Okay. We have the nobles, of course. The nobles. The rebels. And the scientists. Oh, the scientists. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. I like science. Look at that. I love your floating cars and your weird glowy pillars. And the glowy spheres and the glowy circles. spheres. Don't forget those. Those yeah. people are blue. They looks like they have blue skin. Ah oh, man, the science here must be amazing to give people blue skin. Well, it's more of an aesthetician thing, but yes, it's a science, <laughs> I think. But uh, but great. Hey, I really appreciate you giving me the tour. This is fantastic. Um, I'm gonna go over there, and I'm gonna open up. I'm gonna open up a little academy, and. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start working on my science. Then I'm gonna bring in some other people, and we're all gonna do some science. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait. I can't wait for us to be the best scientists the city has ever seen. Okay, so here's the thing. Mm -hmm. You can't be the best over there. Oh. You can't outshine the The capital. Okay. The best and the brightest are in the capital. Oh, well then I can't wait to be the second best and That's brightest. the spirit. And maybe I'll send someone who's really good to the capital so that no one is ever better than the capital. How's that? Now you're thinking like a Luxian. <laughs> Welcome to Capital Lux. This is actually, this is Capital Lux 2. Generations. Oh, what was there a Capital Lux one, and what was it? <laughs> I think it was just called Capital Lux. Uh, it was just like this game, but I think it had uh, worse graphic design. <laughs> the same same art, but I just think uh, I think this version just looks better. It does look really good. I like the art a lot. Yeah. The one thing I would like to say about the art specifically, yes, which is a rare comment that I'm about to make because it's rare in games, yeah. but. There are more oh, yeah. women yeah. in the pictures than there are men. That's true. It's a three to one on this base player board here. Mm-hmm. And then you've got some additional decks yeah. as well. And it looks like we were 50-50 on the additional decks. Yeah. Well, hey, great. 
He's still coming out ahead. Yeah, coming out ahead. I mean, it's a small thing, really, but when you're a lady and you get used to there being, you know, fewer options for (laughs) female characters than male characters, and in some cases, none. And I don't usually particularly care, but you do notice it. It's nice when when it works out a little bit more uh, representative. Yeah, it's, and it's nice. And the images are just really quite nice. Now, you were saying that your one complaint is that you wish there were more art. Yeah, it's such good art that I wish there were more of it. Instead, it, you're just looking at the same four or five people over and over and over again. I wish it were a little more varied. But hey, we're putting a little bit of the uh, future cart ahead of the future horse here in our future city. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the game itself. What is this game, Capital Lux? It's, I guess it's a card game because it has cards, but it doesn't really play, to me, it doesn't super play like a card game. Yeah, so we've been talking about this. What kind of game is this? And I said set collection yep. a bit, and I think you said area, area control. control. Yeah. yeah. And then we settled on lane control. Yep, that's, that's I think, not, not bad. Yeah. Not bad. It is a game about making sure that you are boosting up all the different areas of your home base, but not too much because if you boost your stuff up too much and it outshines the capital, then, you know, the, I don't know, the inquisition or the, you know, the big giant bulldozers come in and just level you and just punish you for outshining the capital. Yeah. They kill your whole family. They would (laughs) anyone who's ever looked at your family. (laughs) And so you don't want that. But there's, there's special powers, there's uh, extra decks you can play with, all kinds of different ways to configure the game. And it all swirls around a base rule set that I think is pretty straightforward and pretty easy to understand. What do you think? Well, tell us what's in the box. Yeah, so just quickly, yeah. basic game setup, I think is how I'm going to describe what's in the box. Yeah. You have your own player mat with lanes. Blue, pink, yellow, and green. Yeah. Now there are, as we mentioned, extra lanes that can be tacked on depending on the rule set you're playing with. There's a gray lane here, and there's a purple lane that you can stick on there, but but the core lanes. Right. But in general, (laughs) you're looking at those four. Yep. And then there's also a public set of those four lanes in the capital, and that's communal that you and your opponents will be contributing to, whereas your own personal... Lane set here is where you'll build your own personal tableau. You've got those four decks of cards we mentioned. They number two to six. You also have a bunch of other things in the box, again, depending on the set of rules that you're playing with, which we'll talk about in a second. Yeah. There are coin tokens. And then last but most certainly not least, there are the actual rules that you will be playing with in this game. These are cardboard tokens that are colored Yep. just in those same four colors. We mentioned blue, pink, yellow, green, so you know which lane they would apply to. There are, I think, four of each color in the base set, and yep. we have an expansion that has an additional one of each color. Is that right? Yep. So you can group them by category. Here's one of each color. We call that group A. Here's one of each color. We call that group B. They are loosely thematically joined together yes the themes are the beginning aka the starter set yeah hey dummy right revolution harmony and anarchy yeah 
And then above and beyond that, you can mix and match. You do not have to stick with the sets they recommend. You can just throw chaos. Yeah, if you really want to get crazy. In there, yeah. Yeah, if you really want to go nuts, you could just reach into a big bag and just pull out one of each color and, and throw your, your fates to the winds. <laughs> that's what they say here in the future. That's exactly what they in say. In the city of Lux. So that's just a quick overview of what's in the box and kind of what the setup is like. Paul, why don't you tell them how it's played? I will tell them how it's played. Uh, everyone starts each round with a hand of cards. There's a little bit of drafting that happens first. You know, you take two, pass it, take two, pass it. But then eventually everyone ends up with seven cards. Then the start player gets to go. And on your turn, you have two choices. Do I play a card into my home base or do I play a card into the capital? Playing a card into your home base is pretty straightforward. You just take that card, put it in its appropriate lane. You got a blue card, goes in the blue lane. Got a yellow card, goes in the yellow lane. No problem. Easy. You play a card to the capital mm. and you get to activate that lane's power. If I got a blue card, put it in the blue lane in the capital. I get to activate the power that's in that blue lane. And there are so many of these different powers that I'm not going to go into all of them. But, no, but let's rattle off a few just to give them some idea. Yeah, in the blue lane, ones that we've played with in the past are a separate deck of cards that you can draw from. A collection of little hidden tokens that you can move around that will increase or decrease the value of the cards in the lanes in the capital. Um, things like uh, something that's straightforward. You just get to take another turn. There is uh, <laughs> one of the rule sets has this completely extra little player board with these little rocket tokens on yep. there. Put a card in that lane and you get to move your little rocket token up this community player board. Do some extra things, score some points. All yeah. kinds of weird powers. Oh, there are such interesting ones. There's also play to this lane and you can draw another card back to your hand from any of the other lanes if it's a smaller number. Yeah. All kinds of just interesting, yeah. creative out-of-the-box sorts of rules. Neat ways to, to, to alter how the game plays. But that core rule set is still there. Play a card into your home base or play a card into the capital. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason you'd want to play into one or the other, aside from just the powers, is that everyone's going to play these cards until someone plays the last of their cards. Then everyone else gets one more turn, and then everybody at the table has to flop all of their cards into their home base. No more playing to the capital. Everyone just goes right into the home base, and that's the end of the round. That is important mm -hmm. because at the end of every round is some scoring. And the way scoring works is you start with the blue lane, and everyone looks at their blue lane and look, totals up all the cards in their blue lane and looks at the capital's blue lane. And anyone that has gone higher than the value of the cards in the capital's blue lane has busted. And it does not feel good. <laughs> despite what you may have heard because in this game when you bust you have to get rid of all the cards in that lane so if the capitals blue lane has like a value of 10 and i have 11 in my blue lane in my home base busted, busted get him out of here out of here and then of the people who have not busted mm -hmm. whoever has the highest total gets to take the highest card from that lane in the capital as a score for as end a, of game. Yep, gets to take it, put it in a score pile, put it off to the side. Mm -hmm. So uh, in this example here, let's say, like we said, the blue capital lane has 10 card value in it, right? 
and I busted with an 11. Laura managed to stay under it, and she came in at 9, right? So the fact that she's the only one left in our two-player game means that she gets to take the highest card from the blue lane, which might be a 6. Maybe it was a 6 and a 4 that made it a 10. She's take that 6, put it in her little bonus area off to the side. At the end of the game, that card will be worth 6 points. You do that for each of the four colors. Then you start a new round in the exact same way. Deal out some cards, do some drafting, play cards, play cards, do powers, do powers, do powers. End of the round, check for busting, compare scores for the people who did not bust, take your bonus cards, and do the same thing in the third round. And then after that third round scoring is over, everyone takes all of the cards in their home base, puts them in with the cards from their, their bonus scoring that they got, add up any of the coins that maybe you've collected over the game. Some of the the power tiles mm-hmm. might have uh, coins on them, ways of taking coins or, or losing coins or spending coins or whatever. And if you have any of these coins left over, they're worth two points each. You also get coins if two people tie. Mm-hmm. Maybe, let's yeah. say you and I didn't bust, and uh, we, but we both have the same value in one of our lanes. Uh, then rather than anyone getting that bonus card, we would just each get a coin as a little consolation prize. Yeah. Add all that stuff up together. Whoever has the most points is the winner. We have not played with all of the content from this yet. Not even close. Despite the fact that we've played this game several times. Yeah. But uh, there's also, as we discovered tonight, one other way to get points from this rocket ship track up here, which is one of the special tiles, has a whole different scoring track. This right here. It's called Discoverer, and it it goes in the green lane. So if you choose this as the power for the green lane for mm-hmm. your game that means you also have to bust out this this rocket track and everyone gets a little rocket marker and as you play cards into the green lane you get to move your rocket up the rocket track and try to land on points at yep. the end if you can yep among other things yeah so i'd like to talk about busting real quick because okay even though we did make it sound pretty dramatic i think you've undersold <laughs> the impact yeah. of busting it's, it's bad. real bad yeah if you've if you've got like 15 points in your blue lane and then someone at the very last minute through some kind of skull duggery manages to drop the capitals blue lane down to lower than that and you bust and you lose all the that's 15 points you've just lost yes that's 15 <laughs> of your end game points yep if you are in the first or second round you are also making it extraordinarily difficult for yourself to win that lane in the yeah. future because you've got to start from zero now. Yeah, don't bust. It's it's not good. Oh, it's so bad. It's better to score zero points, like to have zero cards in the lane, I think. We're getting into strategy here, and I'm mm. not the best source of strategy, but it feels to me that it's better to just have never put anything in that lane at all than to have put like six or seven cards in there and then bust. Yeah, because if you didn't put them in the lane personally, that means you played them to the capital, which yeah. meant you got to do some extra fun stuff. Yep. So as Paul mentioned, there are ways to decrease the totals in the lanes of the capital. Now, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different tiles that yeah. will have an effect that lets you do that. Yeah. Uh, there's tiles that have hidden modifiers that somebody can place you know, upside down. And when everyone reveals the score for that lane you also reveal the modifier and if it's a minus three wah 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 yeah maybe you've busted there's also overt ways uh that involve cards that are negative versions of these blue pink yellow and green cards Mm -hmm. that you would just overtly say get you know what guess what this capital's worth three less now 
Yeah. And then there's also ones that let you lift cards out of lanes <laughs> and bring them to yep. your hand. Yep. All kinds of fun stuff. And then if you didn't think of this already when Paul mentioned that you help yourself to the highest numbered card in that column if you won the column in the scoring period. Yeah. What that also means is that that column is now several points down from where it was. Yep. So part of the strategy is making sure that in the next round, especially if you were so close to the value of the capital. The bust limit. Yeah, the, bu- the bust limit. Yeah. That you want to make sure that you pad it up next yep. round so that you don't bust yourself. Don't bust yourself. Self-busting is uh, never good. As you can probably surmise, we really like this game. We just oh, yeah. we like talking about it. All there's so much variety. You've got this core set of rules, and you've got so many different ways to mess with it that it really does feel like a, a different game every time. And it's easy to say that in a lot of games. A lot, you know, used in marketing blurbs and spiels everywhere. It's a different game every time. This actually feels like we have a lot of trick-taking games mm-hmm. on our shelf. Mm-hmm. And the core trick-taking mechanic is almost always the same. Play Someone leads. You've got, you know, suit you've got to follow. Maybe there's a Trump suit and there's this core set of rules and then all these different ways that people mess with it. And this game does that just to like an exponential degree. It's, it's crazy how much variety is in this box. I agree. Yeah. And I don't see it on a lot of other shelves either. No, maybe it's just not widely distributed or what. I was actually worried going into this review mm. that we'd be recommending a game that people can't actually buy. Uh, but fortunately, my fears were soothed when I <laughs> saw that you can get this game on Amazon. Now there's two versions. There's the big box version and then there's Capital Lux 2 Pocket. I cannot speak to what comes in Pocket. I could go look it up, but the laptop is way over there. I can't imagine that it has all the same stuff that the big box does. So you buy the size that's right for you. I think the the normal size box is perfectly fine. It's got nice table presence. The cards aren't big. It doesn't take up a lot of room. And the box isn't huge anyway. Yeah. It'll play four players. And then there's an expansion that adds uh, components for a fifth player. It adds a set of new power tiles, one in each color that can be used together as a family or thrown in the bag. Uh, if you want to randomize them, mix them up. And it also adds a fifth color, uh, purple. Uh, adds a fifth lane. Uh, the purple lane can be its own color, but uh, other cards can get played to the purple lane too. For example, if I play a yellow card to the purple lane, then I get to activate the yellow power, even though I put it in the purple lane. Yeah, the purple lane is kind of a fun one because the other color that you can play to that lane is constantly rotating. Yeah, every time someone plays one of the other colors to the purple lane, that it'll change based on whatever card you draw from the purple lane deck. Yeah, it's later. one of the other fun decks that gets added. Yeah. It's just a great game. We yeah. played it at two, three, and four. We've enjoyed it across all sizes. Yeah, we liked it at all of the sizes. Um, I think some of these rule set tiles are not as good for two players. Not as yes. good for two <laughs> players. And when you play with four, the totals in the capitals get way higher. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully some people around the table are good at quick math, quick little, you know, napkin math where you're adding four plus two plus two plus four plus six plus three plus four to be able to get an idea of how close everyone is to busting. Oh, yeah. And actually, that's one of the things that I don't like about this game. We've stumbled. We've stumbled into a con here. Well, I mean, it's a small one, but the 
end of game scoring where you just have to add up the numbers on a bunch of cards and there's gonna be probably i don't know 20, 20 cards yeah, 20 total. or 30 cards <laughs> yeah. yeah so you're just like three plus six plus four plus five plus four And I know some of you folks are like, well, you know, pre-sort them by number or set them in groups of 10. Okay, fine. Yeah. But still, it's not fun. It's not fun. <laughs> uh, if there is a computer version of this game floating around out there, which again, I haven't looked up and researched, uh, probably plays great on a computer. Computers can do all that math. I've heard computers are good at math. So like of the three of us, you know, you, me, and the computer, mm. I think three of you are better at math than I am. So <laughs> wait. Ah. Uh. Uh-huh. <laughs> between you, me, and the computer, I think one of you is better. Oh, dear. I think between me, you, and the computer, not me, is good at math. <laughs> and English. <laughs> and English. Uh, so, you know, the, the playing a computer version is probably, you know, quicker, less on-the-spot math. But that's like a minor I think that's a minor quibble with the game. Oh, it's a very minor quibble. I just yeah. felt like I had to it's a fantastic game. not just fully glow about it. It's a great game. Yeah, please. It's a great game by, uh, I think, a small publisher. Who's it by? We probably ought to be more uh, vocal about the publishers. This is by Aporta Games and Pixie Games, and uh, they deserve your support. If this game sounds even remotely interesting to you, please seek it out, pick it up. Uh, I would love for this game to to do very well because i'd love to get another expansion with more powers and more stuff it'd be great yes please well, there we go four games arc nova luna capital lux a compelling combination of games that was definitely my idea mm -hmm. uh-huh okay but i will say thank you oh Ooh. oh well get out the trumpets mm -hmm. for bringing on arc nova i was not gonna do that and and i'm glad i did because it, it turned out to be a solid game and one that i'm really glad to have on our shelf uh and they got an expansion coming out that they just announced uh with uh, absolutely minimal details but it doesn't matter something I'm, about fish something about fish. i'm in i'm in i'm aquarian I'm going to uh, no. Aquarian Minds want to know. <laughs> That's much better. Thank you for saving it. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, and I think on that note, we're going to save this episode by ending it. <laughs> and, and just say thank, thank you, you for, for honoring, honoring us, us with, with your, your ears. ears. Dear listener, hello. Ah, hello. Hello. You have completed part of your journey. That's fantastic. We here in the year 2574 are cheering for you. Mm -hmm. Good work. We're already seeing the differences that you're making. You can't really tell if you were here with us in the year 2574 because we're all virtual. So you would just be seeing people <laughs> with their Oculus version 27B headsets kind of just maybe vibrating slightly in their in their harness domes in the VR world. But we are definitely cheering for all of you. 
to now take the next step and go back to episode 18 and, and listen from the point you left off. Hopefully you can remember. If you've forgotten, then you may want to get your brain-computer interface checked out. Laura, do you think do you think our dear listener has a brain computer? Did they have brain computers back in... See, that was 2022. That seems a bit oh, early. Oh, <sighs> a bit early, yeah. Brain computers didn't come out until like 2023, I think. So, dear listener, two things. You can now go back to episode 18 where you left off and uh, do not be an early adopter for brain computers. Don't. It might be bleeding edge in both idiom... And the bleeding. And the bleeding. <laughs> you don't want that. So go. Thank you for doing your part for maintaining the structural integrity of the space-time continuum. <laughs>